Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. the vineyard. It's always so good to worship together. First day of fall. No one's happy? This is Illinois. <laughs> My husband, Happy, and I just spent the last two weeks in Southern California. But while we were there on September 10th, we heard the news that not far from us, actually in Riverside, California, a 30-year-old megachurch pastor, Jared Wilson, took his own life. And this was very, very uh, tragic in so many ways. But Jared had fought tirelessly on behalf of those who struggled with depression and anxiety and hopelessness. He and his wife, Julie, had launched an organization called Anthem of Hope where they helped other people with struggles with depression and self-harm, addiction, anxiety. And, but he lost his own battle on the eve of September 9th, and when we heard the news in an ironic twist, September 10th, it's actually the Worldwide Suicide Prevention Day. So it, it was, it, it's very, very heart-wrenching. And there was a lot of social media swirl about it, and uh, one thing that we did want to say, sort of parenthetically, that we feel is important to say, is, you know, Jared Wilson, who was the, you know, devoted father of two awesome little boys, the loving husband of uh, his wife, Julie, and a absolute passionate follower of Jesus. He did not go to hell. You know, suicide does not send you to hell. No. Our eternal destination is based on our faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done, not on did we confess every last sin, including suicide, which of course would be impossible to confess. And so we do not believe that suicide sends you to hell. We believe that Jared is rejoicing with Jesus now, albeit here many people are grieving. And, you know, this information, this event was tragic on, like I said, many levels for Happy and me. You know, we have a 30-year-old son. He has a young wife and two little children. And I know the pressures he's under. I, I've prayed with him. I've talked with him. The struggles of work and life and family and faith in this crazy world. And many of you, you know those pressures. And, uh, you know, we're pastors just like, like Jared. And we know the pressures on pastors I thought it was interesting that Greg Laurie, who is Jared's lead pastor in California, said this, sometimes people may think that as pastors, we are somehow above all the pain and struggles of everyday people. And I'm here to say, absolutely not. We have pain and struggles just like everybody else. And uh, Laurie went on and said, well, we are the ones I know who are supposed to have all the answers, but we do not. We don't have all the answers, but 
Thankfully, we do know the one who does have all the answers, and his name is Jesus. And he is our hope. He is. And that's why we thought this message series was so timely. Hope rising. God's presence in our pain. And that subtitle is really important. God's presence in our pain. You see, we need hope to rise in us, within us. You know, the hope we're talking about isn't just some commodity that you can kind of talk yourself into or grab somewhere or even a scripture you can confess. It's not a pill you can take, and we're not against medication. I know, you know, depression has a lot of chemical complex issues. We're not against that. But what we're talking about isn't a pill you can take. It's actually not like a platitude. Well, just think happy thoughts, you know, and it'll go away. No. We don't think that at all. We believe hope rising is due to a person and his presence in us. And that is extremely important. And that's going to be our emphasis. As we look at how do I become more aware and assured of God's presence in me, no matter what I'm going through. And I want you to know that God's presence, of course he's a person, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, all of them, in some extent, live in us. It's, it's a mystery. The Holy Spirit is the one with whom you know, we relate because he's always speaking and revealing and leading and guiding us. But God is a person. His presence is a person. And to that extent, it's very personal. And by that, I mean he knows you. He knows your personality. He knows what actually catapults you into depression. He knows what sends you over the edge. He knows you, and that's actually good news because he also loves you. He loves you deeply, unequivocally, and he can do that because we're reconciled to him as sons and daughters through the shed blood of Jesus. So all of that is extremely important as we look at hope rising, God's presence in our pain. You know we live in a crazy world. It's filled with hopelessness, isn't it? Suicide and depression stats are skyrocketing. And hopelessness is just rampant. I, I think everyone to some degree ha has experienced this. You know, whether it's just like that low-lying dark cloud, you know, you wake up and it's just... Ugh. And for some of us, it dissipates during the day. For others, it hangs on to just kind of dampen our joy. But there's others of you, I know this, you have raging thoughts that you battle of taking your own life, of suicide. And that's very real. All of that is very real. You know, believing in Jesus does not guarantee freedom from pain or problems. Contrary to what some preachers might tell you, <laughs> that is not true. But believing in Jesus does assure us of his presence in the pain and through the problem. And so I'm very grateful. You know, Jesus made it clear Right before he went to the cross, he was talking to his disciples, and he said, you know, everything that I've taught you, everything, he said, is so that the peace which is in me will be in you. The peace that is in Jesus, he said, I want this, I want this to give you great confidence and great hope as you rest in me. We need some lessons on how to do that, right? how to live in him, abide in him, dwell in him. But he finished that conversation by saying this, for in this unbelieving world, and it's unbelieving, 
you will experience trouble and sorrows. But you must be courageous, for I have conquered the world. Woo, that's good news. <laughs> it might not look like it. And when he says be courageous, it isn't like, well, suck it up. No, we can be courageous because he who is Lord of our life and lives inside of us has conquered the world. And that can be our assurance. That can cause hope to rise in the middle of pain and problems. You know, suffering, I have found of any, at any measure, every time it's an opportunity for me to either be driven away from the presence of the Lord, you know, angry at God and confused, or to draw near to draw near. We, always, we have that choice. So for the next five weeks, I want to invite you to come. Not just to hear about hope. I hope that isn't what happens. I hope you experience hope himself. That you get to just be invaded and saturated afresh by the Holy Spirit of hope filling you. And, you know, we're going to look each week uh, at hope rises when Today I'm going to talk about hope rises when wrong ideas fall, okay? And then each week we're going to, to look at what does God's word say? And did you know God's word has a lot to say and a lot of stories about people just like you and me who endured a tremendous suffering, many problems. The Bible is full of that. And so we're going to share their stories, and then we're going to share stories of people in our own church family who've walked through tough times and yet have been able to see hope rise and experience God's presence in their pain. Now, Paul wrote a letter to the Romans, and of course, the believers in, in Rome, they knew what suffering was about because they were you know, under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And yet, I love in almost every letter that Paul writes... He includes his prayers. I like to pray these prayers. I've prayed them for many years. I change around the pronouns, you know, so I can pray it back to God. And I thought, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me today. The words are going to be on the screen. It's a prayer found in Romans 15. And so I want to hear your voices. <laughs> and uh, that's probably the old first grade teacher in me. But let's, uh, let's pray this prayer together as we invite the Father to teach us and just bring fresh revelation of hope. Ready? Now may you, God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, fill us to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as we trust in you. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround our lives with his superabundance until we radiate with hope. Amen. Amen. So powerful. Why? This is God's will. This is God's word. That releases faith in our heart. This is what he wants. He wants us to radiate with hope. He wants us to be saturated by the Holy Spirit. I unashamedly tell you, there is no hope apart from the Holy Spirit. There is none. Not true hope. No. And that is why over and over again we say here, get filled daily with the Holy Spirit. Learn to walk in the Spirit. Know His voice. You know, tap into His presence and His power and His person in you and His love most of all. So, come Holy Spirit, right? Today's 
message, though, is hope rises when wrong ideas fall. And those ideas might be actual lies or could just be twisted truth. Um, they crush hope. You know, Jesus himself said what? The truth will set you free. Jesus embodies truth, but truth will set you free. And, you know, uh, lies bring a lot of bondage to our lives. And so we need wrong ideas to fall so hope can rise. Hope can rise in our hearts. And I thought this was interesting because lies destroy hope. And as I was doing some research on this, I found a fascinating quote from Julie Sorrell. She's a professor at the University of Kentucky in the School of Social Work, and she is the past president of the American Association of Suicidology. So she's very much in touch with this whole topic of hopelessness. And she said this, the thing about depression and anxiety and other mental illnesses or psychiatric conditions is it typically involves our brains lying to ourselves. Wow. So our brain is pumping out lies. They might be self-generated, but it could also be lies that we're hearing, you know, from other people, a boss, a spouse, a, a friend, the media. But this is what we know as believers in Jesus. We know who the father of lies is, right? That is one of Satan's names. He is a liar. He twists the truth. And we also know, particularly if you were here in our last message series, he's been defeated. Not departed. He's still here trying to, you know, infect us with his lies. But thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit of truth who leads and guides us into all truth. He exposes the lies that have captivated us in a, you know, a negative way. Or the truth that maybe we've suppressed. The Holy Spirit works, again, personally in all of us to bring freedom. And those wrong ideas have to fall. I'll say this. Over the past almost 10 years, this church has begun to walk in the amazing truth of the gospel of grace. Oh yeah, we preached the gospel for many years, but this gospel of grace where the cross is a smashing success and Jesus has gotten bigger, better, more beautiful, that we understand his sacrifice, his resurrection assures us of 100% acceptance and love in the Father's sight. Every sin is forgiven. There is nothing that separates us from God. The love of the Father is ours, and he is here to stay. He is never going to leave us. He will never forsake us. He is here. His presence is here. And that has just made all the difference in the world. It has. Because so much of our Christianity, mine included, even some that I preach, and I'm sorry to say that, please forgive me, religion is so debilitating. You know, religion is all about, okay, you try harder, you, you figure it out, you, you perform, oh, oh, okay, like you're, you're in a problem, okay, what do I need to do to get God to come, to, to please God? I want you to know that's called self-help, not savior help. And when we tune in to the presence of the Savior who lives in us, when we tune in to his help, his wisdom, his love, hope can rise and pain can go. So that's right. That's worth clapping about. <laughs> so today I want to look at one specific wrong idea or twisted truth, if you will. And there's a 
ton of them, okay? But one specifically that destroys hope. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever, say, suffered the loss of a job or your health or maybe a, a loved one or, you know, even a child? And someone has said this to you. Well, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. I'm sorry, that is twisted. And I'm going to tell you why. Now, yes, I speed down Lincoln Avenue, I get a ticket. That's the reason, right? I eat too many chocolate chip cookies, I go into a sugar coma, right? I mean, yes, there's a lot of things where there's reasons. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying when you're in a perplexing situation, a difficult situation, you get blindsided by trouble, and you can't find your way out, and someone says, well, I mean, everything happens for a reason. And the inference is, you know, it is probably your fault. Like, if you could just figure out, maybe you should have prayed more. Maybe you should have sinned less. Because this is the way the universe works. You do good, good happens. You do bad, bad happens. That's, you know, that's just the way it, way it works. And so everything happens for a reason. Folks, I want you to know that is karma, not Christianity. And are you a Christian? Then we don't believe in karma. We do not. So, all right. Everything happened for a reason. Another take on this, and, you know, I'm obviously just scratching the surface, but another take, and this is just as important, when someone says, well, everything happens for a reason, the inference there is, well, we have an almighty God, right? Yeah. Well, and he's controlling the universe, you know, like he's micromanaging. And so, you know, I'm sorry if your child got killed or you got cancer or you lost your job. You know, he must have known there was a pretty good reason for it. I mean, probably some sin in your life or something, but everything happens for a reason. Do you want to know why droves of people are leaving the church? Because that's the father who was preached. And that is not the good, good father that Jesus came and said, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. I forgive sin. I heal bodies. I welcome the destitute. Oh, I'm telling you, that is twisted. And that is not the Father that we love and that we serve. You know, again, religion, so debilitating. It either torments you with those lies about who the Father is, or it tells you, you must be, you know, triumphal. You know, we believe victory, rejoice always, and you end up denying the truth of the pain in your heart, the hopelessness that you're struggling with, the questions that keeps you from being honest, as though God didn't already know. No, this is twisted. So everything happens for a reason, you know? I want reasons. Why do we want reasons? Because it gives us control. See, if I know the reason, then the next time, maybe I can control it. Not, but we think that <laughs> anyway. No, Jesus, Jesus doesn't want us to have control. He wants us to have confidence in him confidence in his love for us, his goodness for us, his wisdom, that the work at the cross did what he said it did, making us blameless and whole and holy in his sight, and he's empowering us to walk in the reality of that, okay? Jesus offers us so much more than just a reason. I like to say it this way. Don't look for a reason. Look for the Redeemer.
And you know what? He's right here. And if he's not, we'll introduce you to him today. Because we are a people who walk and live and move in the presence of the living God. Well, while I was prepping for this message, I wanted to read stories about people who've dealt with going through really difficult times, suffering and problems and difficulties, and how did they hold on to God? And I ran across a very interesting story, and I loved it because it was a family, a man with a, a lot of children, and um, they loved getting together, which our family does. Our family's 30 people now, and, you know, they had great times of laughter and fun, and, and uh, what I really loved, you know, it did remind me a lot of my own husband. The, the father loved, loved God. He was a dedicated worshiper and extremely uh, generous. Well, he was wealthy. That didn't remind me of my husband, but <laughs> he, was, he was extremely wealthy, but, su but super generous. Anyway, so I'm reading their story, and the, the story is that uh, the three of the children were in a horrific accident, and all three were killed. And unfortunately, it was their fault. And so then this lawsuit ensued, and it pretty much wiped out the wealth of the whole family. And the, uh, the father uh, was then diagnosed, not surprisingly, with pancreatic cancer, which, you know, cancer and stress are, are very related. It's not always, you know, cause and effect, but he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And when he blogged about this, he said the worst part wasn't even all these incredible losses that he endured. That wasn't it. It was his friends, his church friends, his spiritual advisors. They just crushed the life and hope out of him. Why? Because they kept intimating somehow it was like his fault. You know, everything happens for a reason, right? And after all, that's the way the universe runs. We have a just God. He's a God of justice. And when horrible things happen, we've got to look for the reason. And he kept saying, I, 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 my conscience was clear, you know, but I, I couldn't like find the sin that I was supposedly having had committed, you know, hidden or not. He, he couldn't find it, but he knew he'd been living righteously. He, he didn't know. What was the reason, God? And then God spoke. I love this. God spoke. He's a speaking God. He powerfully exposed all the wrong ideas that he had absorbed from the others, ideas that had crushed his hope, especially the idea that God was punishing him and that God was, you know, uh, after that hidden sin, that that's the way God's justice operates. So get it right or things will be wrong. And what did God say? You want to know what God said? You can read it for yourself. Because I've just told you the story of Job. Right here in the Bible. Oh, sure, I made it more contemporary. But that is the exact story. It's actually, Job's situation was much worse than the one I described. There's poor guy covered in boils. You want to know how God describes Job, though? He says, Job was a man who lived in Uz. He was honest inside and out, a man of his word who was totally devoted to God and hated evil with a passion. You see, it wasn't Job's sin that was causing his suffering. We actually discover in the first two chapters of Job there was another player on the field. His name is Satan. <laughs> and he wreaked all the havoc in Job's life, the death and the disease and the destruction. And 
Meanwhile, Job's spiritual advisors spend the bulk of this 42-chapter book trying to convince Job he is suffering because he has sinned, because that's the way God's justice works. But tucked right in the middle, in like chapter 19, Job makes this prophetic proclamation, and he says, I know my Redeemer lives. <laughs> Well, when God, God finally did speak and he denounced the friend's ideas as wrong, and this is what he revealed. He revealed that he, God, is so much greater than any of us can comprehend and understand. And I know sometimes we forget that because, you know, Jesus is our friend and all this. God is so much bigger, okay, so much, and so much better. But he reveals to Job how complex the universe is. It's, it's actually somewhat chaotic. It is ordered, but it's wild and beautiful and wonderful. Isn't that what we learned in Kingdom Collision? You know, all the different forces. But the bottom line is our God is good. Our God is wise. Our God is loving. And he resists exactly what Job's friends were doing and our friends do, putting him in a box saying this is the way his justice works, tit for tat. Do good, bad happens. Do, do bad, bad happens. You know, no, he said, that's not me. That's not, you don't understand. There's a whole lot more going on out here. You don't, you do need to understand this. I love you, I'm for you, and I'm a redeemer. And he went, he didn't just tell him that, he proved that to Job. Let me read for you. Last chapter in Job, God blessed Job's later life even more than his earlier life. He ended up with 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons, three daughters. He named the first daughter Dove, the second Cinnamon. He had some good names coming here for you. The third, Dark Eyes. And there was not a woman in that country as beautiful as Job's daughters. Their father treated them as equals with their brothers. What? He was way ahead of his time. He really had a redemption, <laughs> providing the same inheritance. Job lived on another 140 years, living to see his children, grandchildren, four generations of them, and then he died, an old man, a full life. And folks, this is before the redemption of the cross, the defeat of the enemy, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. God is saying, oh, I'm so much greater and more wonderful. Don't put me in a box. Trust me. That's how hope rises. That's how we can tap into his presence in our pain. That is suffering, pain, and loss redeemed. Our God is so good. Hope rises. Hope rises when wrong ideas fall. And that was Job's experience. So I say again to us, stop looking for a reason. Look for the Redeemer. And no, he is right here. You know, you don't have to go up to heaven to bring him down. You don't have to bring him up from the abyss, Paul says. You don't even have to try to pull him in. He is right here. And what you need to know, he's not one bit ashamed of you. He's not embarrassed. He's not disappointed. He is pleased. He loves you. And when you get that you can tune in when the problem and the pain comes. You can depend. You can depend on the Holy Spirit, that spirit of truth, to begin to speak truth to you. As you know, Jesus told us, he said, when that spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. 
Now, he might be exposing lies of the enemy, lies about God, lies about you, suppressed truth of things that have happened to you that you've denied and you don't want to deal with. But see, you're safe. You can be honest and acknowledge it all and let the Holy Spirit speak it to you because he's bringing it out, not to beat you up, not to condemn you, but to heal you. His presence in your pain. And I've seen this personally over and over. And for me, it works kind of this way. Um, when I encounter a problem, and pretty much that's every day. You know, it might be just a small one. But almost every day, there's, there's conflicts, there's, you know, there's phone calls, there's things that go wrong. And I stop, and I ask three questions. First of all, I say, where? Where, where are you, Lord? Do you know I forget that I carry the living God around in me? I forget. I don't know how we can, but we do. <laughs> and then he reminds me, no, die, I'm right here. I got gotcha. you. I'm right here, okay. You're here to stay, right, Lord? That's right, I'm never going to run away. I'm never going to leave you. I am here. I got you. Okay. Secondly, how, Lord? How are you loving me in this tough situation? Not how am I getting out of it? I want to ask that. Not why is this happening? No, how are you loving me? See, I'm so sure of his love that never fails that I can ask him that. Because I know it's not a twisted love, asking me to believe something weird about the Father. I trust his love. So I ask, where are you? How are you loving me? And then, what would you have me do next? Like, you know what? He might want to point out some sin. You know, <laughs> He might want to point out something. But that's up to him, okay? Because he knows your personality. He knows the path that you're on. So those are the questions I like to ask. And hope rises. And, you know, I think it's so fascinating that uh, the Apostle Paul, he, he wrote this amazing uh, text in Romans 5. Let, let me back up a moment. How many of you have ever been afraid to hope? A few honest. Oh, thank you, students. You're awesome. Okay. You get afraid to hope because you've been disappointed. Okay? Because prayers aren't answered. Because you're confused. Like, okay, I'm just going to put up a wall of protection. So I'm not even going to hope. I'm just going to cope. Oh, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is inviting us. And it starts. It starts with your being 100% sure of how much the Father loves you. 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 And And the Holy Spirit wants to make sure that happens. That's why Paul said... In Romans 5, hope does not put us to shame or disappoint us. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Oh, hope is very relational. As we become more and more assured of the Father's love for us and his his hope for us, our lives change and hope does not disappoint us. Well, I want to share with you the story of a member of our church family, Robin Mathis. And I met Robin in the early morning prayer meeting. Everyone's invited at 8.15. I know it's a little early for you guys, but 8.15 where we pray over the service. And as I was listening to her pray, I went, wow, that woman knows Jesus. Listen to her story. I grew up at a very young age 
with a lot of hopelessness. My hopelessness started probably around the age of four, even though I didn't understand what hopelessness meant. At the age of four, I was molested. And my story comes where I had no hope. I could remember, you know, as a young child, when I knew what birthday wishes were about, I remember just praying that I didn't wake up the next day. That was my birthday wish. What child on their birthday wished that they don't wake up? And then as I grew up, I grew up very angry, not trusting, very closed in. I remember when my mother used to pray on her knees and I said, it's gotta be something about this God that she's praying to. So I began to pray to this God, okay, if you're real, then this is what I need from you. I don't wanna hurt anymore. I don't want to be angry anymore. And I welcome God in. There my love affair began. <laughs> and I just was overwhelmed with the love from God. And that relationship grew because all I had was him at this point. He sent me away later in my young adult years to Ohio. And that's when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I really experienced the closeness of the realness of God. And that realness came where I could audibly hear his voice. And so I began to ask questions. I knew something was wrong now, and I had suppressed the memory of being molested. And from then, I asked God, why can't I receive love from others? Why does it feel like they're trying to hurt me when it was love? And I said, I need to know. And he disclosed to me everything that's happened, happened to me, the molestation. He disclosed to me why I didn't like certain touches, why I, you know, couldn't take naps. He disclosed to me, he just uncovered everything, all of the truth, because I was living the lie that that didn't happen to me. He began to open up my mind to receive his truth, because not only when he uncovered the truth, all of the pain rushed up with it. And all of the hurt just rushed up. It was overwhelming. But this God, I could feel his embrace. And I was just, I could just feel him sometimes stroking my hair while he would talk to me and tell me how much he loved me. And so he was there with me at that time when I was being, you know, hurt. He was right there. He had never left me. And when I found out that he was always with me, that gives me hope. It gave me hope. It gave me strength. And I said, okay, I begin to walk my pathway to hope. So I've been in the field of social work for over 20-something years. And I'm currently employed at the Salvation Army. And I actually serve individuals who may be hurting, individuals who may lose hope, individuals who may feel defeated. I actually deal with that population every day. I'm actually, um, I run a program called Pathway of Hope. God is included in that. Um, a lot of prayer goes on, you know, with clients who, who are open to prayer. A lot of, you know, just God, okay, enter into this place, just inviting the Holy Spirit into their hurt and pain. 
and you know and celebrate with them when they're getting it when they can face the truth on their own the hopelessness is of the enemy and it's a lie that god will not restore you he will <laughs> There was so much more that Robin shared uh, with me that, uh, most important, I want you to know um, she was able uh, to be reconciled with her abuser. This was her father. And uh, Jesus spoke to her and said, I love that man, and I have forgiven him. And I want you to do the same. And the Holy Spirit empowered her to do that. And before he passed, Robin was reconciled with her father. And she said, it's like she now is that little girl re finally living that free life. The truth has set her free. And she can dance and delight in the Lord. She truly radiates with hope. And she was here for service. I don't know if she stayed for second. If so... Will you stand, Robin, so we can honor you? Uh, she did not stay for a second, but that's okay. I wanted to honor her just in case she was here. She's a part of our church family. And I know her prayer is that her story will cause hope to rise. Not because of her, but because of the Jesus who lives in each of us. So, Father, thank you that you are in us and with us. And you are bringing fresh hope to so many of us. And I thank you for that. And I trust you, Holy Spirit, to continue to speak truth and empower us to embrace it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.